I feel like experimentation in science is trying to answer a question, trying to resolve something, right? Whereas in art, experimentation doesn't necessarily have to result in anything. In art, it's it's less about answering questions as it, it's more about arriving at like a feeling or arriving at, I suppose, a, an experience, right? Welcome. I'm Doug Casina. I'm an artist, a gallerist, a curator, and a collector. And this is Artbound, where we deconstruct the myths and misconceptions of the art world. We have the conversations here with artists that aren't going to be found anywhere else. Today, I really want to explore the idea of what experimentation plays in the artistic practice. Uh, joining me here in studio is Andrew Jensutter. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And from her studio in Massachusetts, we have Ashley Williams. Hi, Ashley. Hi, thanks. Um, so before we set up the topic, let me just give listeners a little bit of background about the two of you. So Andrew Jensutter is an artist who I think his practice is born from experimentation. I don't even know how he got to the point where he's doing his work right now, unless there was a lot of experimentation to begin with. Um, he's shown his work in international art fairs, such as Untitled on several occasions, Pulse, and uh, the LA Art Show. More recently, he's had a solo exhibition at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Denver. And uh, he's fully vaccinated. So he's like joining us in the studio today. One of, one of my greatest accomplishments. <laughs> um, and Ashley Williams um, more recently has been a professor at the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts. Um, she's also taught at Metro State University of Denver, um, the University of Colorado Boulder, and Colorado State University. Um, some of her residencies upcoming are the Malay Colony for the Arts. She's also um, had residencies at the North Adams Project with Mass Mocha, uh, Anderson Ranch, Redline, and uh, the Vermont Studio Center. Uh, thank you both again uh, for joining us for this podcast. I'm really excited about this topic. I think for non-artists, they look at an artist's body of work and they kind of see this finalized project that maybe they're kind of honing in on or they're tightening up, but they don't really see the process of experimentation that got the work there to begin with. Um, Andrew, as I alluded to in your introduction, I think your work is really born out of the idea of playing and curiosity and experimentation. Uh, to give uh, our listeners an idea of one of the bodies of work that you do um, are these carved paintings. You typically take a Google image search for whatever your subject matter is and paint the first 80 to 100 images on top of each other and then go back in and carve out the painting. So what it becomes is this excavation. It's an amalgamation of 100 images on top of each other. And I feel like you didn't have that planned before you started doing those type of work. So how, how does experimentation uh, lead you down that path in your work? And one thing I forgot to mention, and I just found this out the other day, uh, both Ashley and Andrew did their MFAs together at the University of Colorado Boulder. So it's a little bit of a reunion here. We, we did. We're like, we're like siblings. 
Re- reunited. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. Basically. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, yeah. So to, to try to answer your question, I think experimentation is really, I like that you, you made it analogous to play. And that's one of the things I've been thinking about this past week leading up to this, this little session is what is, what is the difference between experimentation and play, right? It's, it's very similar in my mind. And you referenced the carved paintings. Um, the carved paintings were really born out of accident. I was in grad school uh, some years back and let a bunch of paint accumulate on a canvas. And after building up these layers, there was a little portion of the canvas that um, was kind of standing, standing out too much, it kind of some texture that I didn't like. And so I tried to flatten it out with a razor blade. And by cutting it off, it revealed these concentric circles that showed the whole history of the painting in one little spot. And then I just kept carving it more to continue to reveal that, um, that layering. And so that was really a particular moment I can pinpoint as uh, a place in which experimentation or uh, you know, really just an accident sort of revealed a, a new way of, of treating a canvas. And so the, what that taught me is great things can come out of just kind of following your, following your muse, following an idea. You referenced the idea of play again in your studio. Do you go into your studio every day looking forward to playing? looking to play yeah i mean that's i would like to say that yes i do i think a lot of the time when when you become a professional artist you go in there thinking okay i have this much to get done today let's get to it and that's a very grown-up mentality (laughs) i think i i need to remind myself that it's not fair that children get to have more fun as artists than i do sometimes and so i I need to go back to that. Or for, for example, my mother, who during this past year of COVID has taken to watercolor painting. And what she's doing is, is great. It makes me so excited to see her um, in this pursuit. And it really has gotten her through this year. And she has more fun painting than I do sometimes. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm being reminded that I, I do need to play more often. Curious to, to know uh, Ashley's take on play and how that relates to experimentation well first of all i just want to say it's been such a pleasure to watch andrew your work evolve over the years since grad school and your current work your your paintings are freaking gorgeous and it's been i haven't ever heard that story that you just told just now so that was really cool to hear thank you so for me when i walk into the studio the first thing i do is i look at my calibration shrubbery (laughs) could you describe this for us this is a painting of a shrubbery and um if i'm if i look at the shrubbery this is a a painting that i made up a shrubbery and um if i'm looking at the shrubbery and it looks really shiny and green and detailed then i know that i'm in a good mood uh and if it's kind of gray and and not very detailed then i realize i'm in a bad mood uh and i'm going to kind of devalue everything in my studio so uh, (laughs) so so you take your temperature the second you walk into the studio exactly 
And if my calibration shrubbery is looking shiny, then it's an experimental day. Um, and if it's, if it's looking gray, then I'm typically gonna be working on something that I've already started. Um, and so I feel like uh, I am an artist who also wants to be a scientist. <laughs> and uh, the reason I went to the University of Colorado it's because there's this um, program where you could do an environmental um, science degree and an art degree simultaneously. And then I ended up not going in that direction, but that has always kind of been with me. I feel like I, I explore, like being an artist is, is uh, a excuse to explore and to investigate. And I a lot of my experimentation comes from language too. I'm a voracious reader and I read all sorts of things, you know, everything from science fiction to kind of more literary fiction to poetry. And a lot of the experiments start with kind of a question, like um, a question that I've been asking myself over and over is how do you make a painting that looks alive? Yeah, how do you make a painting that looks alive? So then I'll write down words like heat or fur or breath or sensitive antenna, or tremble. Um, and then I'll go through that whole um, list of words and I'll look at heat and I'll think, okay, so how do you make a painting that looks hot? You know, does it, how do you make a painting that looks like it's kind of, has this kind of internal, internal heat? Um, you know, do you use color? Do you use texture? Then I'll look at fur, you know, so how do I, you can approach that in a really straightforward way and, and um, end up painting something that looks like a shag carpet. But how do you make a fur that looks alive, like a kind of bear fur that's all matted and, and covered in moss? Um, so I'll go through all the different ways to make something look furry. Um, so a lot of the experimentation comes from, from language um, and kind of creating, like, iterating with language. And then eventually that turns into a painting. Well, and you've even explored with that theme where you've kind of almost created your own visual language at times. I know uh, I'm referencing a recent show um, that was a bit of a departure from your work where you were almost making this uh, new language of hieroglyphs um, that very much read as language in your paintings. Yes, I am. I've always been fascinated by the limitations of language um, and how we're always kind of reaching for something, an idea, an experience that, that we can't describe in words. And I think that's, you know, why I'm an artist and why a lot of people are artists. Um, but I've also been, I'm interested in a lot of other projects about language. I read a lot of Robert McFarlane. Um, I was just looking at a, a bunch of artists at the Bureau of Linguistic Reality. Mm. Um, and they're a collaborative team where they kind of, um, they create words to just like I was explaining, like they create words to describe things that don't have, um, we don't have a language to understand them yet. And it's specifically related to climate change and our understanding of the landscape. Um, and I just love projects like that. Do you feel like you get that permission for experimentation from other media that you're bringing into your studio kind of like language, Andrew? I would say I would say yes. I mean, I'm going to keep going back to grad school because of our our connection with that, um, Ashley and I. And during graduate school, I think I was somewhat what's the word somewhat typecast as as a formalist, right? I was the artist that would bring in material. I was always always seduced by a material, and then I would try to figure out what I could do with this material. 
And I, I don't know that I'll ever leave that method of working, um, which is kind of antithetical to the conceptual process where you're really dealing in ideas and then you're finding a form to support those ideas. And it, I think it's also fascinating um, thinking in terms of experimentation as play or think of, thinking of experimentation as a more scientific process because I see science and art running very different courses. Not, not that they're in opposition or competition with each other, but I feel like experimentation in science is trying to answer a question, trying to resolve something, right? Whereas in art, experimentation doesn't necessarily have to result in anything. It, it's, I wouldn't say it's less directed, but it can be more play-based and often uh, just ends in nothingness or, or disaster or which I, a scientist would also argue that that happens when they're experimenting. But um, that could be a whole conversation, like the difference between experimentation in the scientific realm versus the artistic realm. But I also think that in art, it's, it's less about answering questions as it, it's more about arriving at, for me, like a feeling or arriving at, I suppose, a, an experience, right? So for me, I've evolved in my studio practice to care less about being seduced by color or material or form and how those things can combine to create that experience that I'm hoping to have. And I don't even know what experience I'm hoping to have. That's also part of the experimentation is you can experiment with experience. I'm, I'm really, uh, really fascinated by that right now. So. Well, and I, I think that's an interesting point that you just brought up is not being attached to the outcome. Um, I too come from a science background. I originally went to school for molecular cellular developmental biology and I worked in a lab a lot. And I look at kind of the process of creating art as problem solving. Um, the other part of that too, I think is not knowing because I think once you have a really firm idea of what you're doing, you should probably stop because then you're not playing anymore. You're not experimenting anymore. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I love that. Not knowing. I, so I'm surrounded by scientists too. I'm on a college campus. My partner's an astronomer and I'm always talking with people about like listening to, to, to scientists who have very specific projects. And I think, um, for me, I'm always like looking for the poetic bit or, or just taking out just something visual. And, and, and Do you feel like when you show up in your studio, is experimentation the rule? Is that what you're kind of looking at every day? Or is that the exception to a practice that you've already developed? Like, does the experimentation define your practice? Or is it something that you have to remind yourself to do? I kind of worry that my work is is all experimentation sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I feel like I don't have enough focus. Like it's just all the series of experiments and tangents leading to other experiments. Um, and sometimes when my calibration shrubbery is really shiny, I feel good about that. And sometimes when it's, when it's kind of dull, I get really anxious about it and feel like I should be super focused on one, one idea, you know, one series of, of paintings with a very specific uh, uh, you know, thesis. I love the idea of Ashley's calibration shrubbery. Like I'm always going to remember this because I, I feel like, um, well, there's this, this quote 
that I want to share by Brancusi, the, the famed sculptor who said that it isn't difficult to make a work of art. The difficulty lies in being in the right state to do it. Hmm. And, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is, is you, you go to the studio thinking you're going to be an artist. You're going to show up. You're going to, you're going to make these great things. And you can get into a headspace that is not conducive to that. We have that inner voice or a collection of voices that we've amassed through going to art schools or getting a bad review or you know something somebody said recently. And so you have all these voices you're dealing with. and not to mention your own ego, I guess we'd call it, right? That's always trying to protect you or trying to like dissuade you from doing a thing. And so getting, getting into that proper headspace where you can make good art is almost the, the most fertile place to experiment from for me right now. It's not even the art so much I'm experimenting with. It's the the landscape in which the art is made that I'm experimenting with. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. You know, I think the other side of that is the artist who has found a niche and has had financial success in that niche and feels like there's no room for experimentation because, you know, they have bills to pay. So I think we're fed this idea as artists that you need to create this signature style that people recognize and that's you know, uh, within staying in that lane. But in truth, I think the best art comes from not doing that. Yes. I, and I think that relates to being kind of unapologetic about your obsessions. Like I, 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 there are some of my favorite artists are just unapologetically obsessive. And that sometimes ends up looking like the same kind of painting happening again and again. Um, but I think if you get deeper into that obsession, like being, being unapologetic and being obsessive, you end up experimenting too, because each, you know, your obsessions will, will lead to, um, just a series of more complex questions. What are you unapologetically obsessed with right now? (laughs) What am I unapologetically obsessed with right now? Uh, the Hawaiian bobtail squid. Uh, wow, I, I wasn't I, expecting that. That's really specific. <laughs> you, you asked. Uh, so I don't know what will happen with it, but the Hawaiian bobtail squid is this wonderful squid that uh, it has is in a symbiotic relationship with uh, bacteria that is um, bioluminous, bioluminescent, and it um, when it feeds in the evening. Um, it's really vulnerable to predators and the, it works symbiotically with the um, bacteria to create light on its underbelly, which ends up kind of erasing its shadow so that predators can't see the shadow. It doesn't get eaten, which is awesome. One thing Ashley will never lack is curiosity, right? That she shares that with science. She shares that, shares that with scientists is she has this overarching, um, curiosity. She's always compelled to look into things. And I think if an artist is running out of ideas, writer's block, whatever you call it, or you're in a rut, you're like, I, I remember hearing about Jim Dine, the, the famed uh, pop artist, got so tired of making his heart paintings because that's all anybody wanted at, at a certain point. And part of me empathizes with that, but part of me is like, that's kind of on you, Jim. <laughs> like, you got to you got to have enough curiosity to say, 
yeah, okay, I'm going to set aside this thing that has become successful because I want to follow this other muse, this, this other path. And, and I'm looking behind Ashley on her wall and she's created this whole world. I mean, she, she worries about too much experimentation, but she's created this entire world that has come from essentially curiosity, right? Can you relate with that idea that you were talking about, about um, being pressured to kind of stay in that lane? Like I, and I'm saying this as your representation and as a gallerist that works with you, you know, certainly we've had a lot of commercial success with your carved paintings. Um, I also know that you're, one of your obsessions is with object. And uh, you make these incredible pieces um, that are object-based um, that I feel like um, maybe are more towards that experimentation for you. Absolutely. I think it's, it's important for myself. I can only speak for myself that in my studio practice, once I've figured out something that is interesting or that people are responding to, there appears to be a consensus around a way of making a piece of art. I don't, I don't necessarily um, feel like I have to be ashamed of that or stop doing it just because it's successful. Like that feels like I'd be eating my own tail. Um, so I, I let that live. It becomes a thing that the studio can do. Um, and I'm lucky enough that I, I have assistants that can help me um, produce those things. Um, and there's a long tradition of artists working like this, dating all the way back to Rubens, right? You have today Jeff Koons or you know, many artists I can think of who have branches in their studio practice. And so for me, when I find something that seems to work, that is successful, that is getting a good response, I'll keep doing that until I feel like it's empty, until I feel like there's no variations of that thing that are making me curious. Meanwhile, while those things are being made, it's my responsibility to keep myself excited in the studio by experimenting, by allowing a certain amount of time in my studio daily to try something new, to take chances, right? Uh, another great quote that I've rolled around in my head, and I'd love to ask the two of you about this to get your, your thoughts. One of my favorite artists, uh, Richard Diebenkorn. Mm -hmm. who said something to the effect of all great art is comprised of one part poetry, one part luck, one part surgery, which I think is interesting. And I was thinking, okay, where does experimentation come into that? And in a way you can experiment with all three of those things, right? Like Ashley, I'm looking again at these drawings behind her. She's a very, very skilled drawer. She's drawn so many thousands of hours in her life. And so there's a technique now that she has down that came from experimentation, but that experimentation becomes a sort of practice, right? Once you've become very skilled at a thing, it's, it's the surgery. It's the thing that helps you create the form. So there's a lot of experimentation be done, to be done with surgery. Um, with the luck, that's the happy accident I was referring to that helped me like, stumble on this carved method. Uh, there's a lot of other things that you're, you're looking for that just serendipity, that aha moment in the studio. The tricky one, and you started a reference to it a bit ago, Ashley, is the poetry. <laughs> How do you experiment with poetry? I don't know. I'm halfway into my art career and I'm still trying to figure out, 
you know, that elixir that is the, the poetic part of art. Ashley, what are your thoughts on that? And where do you feel like your experiment? I mean, I love that quote. I've never heard that quote. I love that. I wrote it down. Poetry, luck, surgery. I'll have to think about that a little more. Um, how, I mean, maybe poetry, maybe that's just, maybe that is the accident. Maybe that is when things, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can be intentional about poetry. Of course, poets are intentional about poetry and they end up making poetry. So, uh, <laughs> well, it's a tough one. Believe me, I didn't expect an answer because uh, I haven't figured it out. <laughs> you know, I'm rolling that around in my head and I don't know that I would have an answer for that as well. Um, but I, I guess for me, uh, you know, another avenue of that same question is, you know, how do you see your practice and experimentation? Like, what is the physical act of experimenting for you? During the pandemic, a lot of the most interesting experimentation I've done has actually been in collaboration with other people. Um, and that's pretty new for me. I, for a long time, was very much an artist who was stuck in, in the studio by myself and, and, and loved that space. But um, I think I felt more of a, a desire to, to reach out. And I've been working with the, the Sparkazong Institute, which is a, an organization of, or a group of artists actually started by my sister, Sarah Williams. And it is uh, a group of artists, philosophers, chefs, uh, writers, uh, musicians, people working in so many different fascinating kind of fields um, and working on, on crazy projects. And we all get together and experiment together. And during the pandemic, we made a Zoom play together called Rock, Paper, Scissors. Um, and we would all get together every week and play with materials and just combine our own specific obsessions um, in order to make something weird and hopefully interesting in the end. And it could have turned out to be a disaster, but uh, I, it turned out pretty great in the end. We were all pretty happy about it. That's an interesting thing because I feel like when sometimes you're working in that, um, you know, that echo chamber of your own studio, mm -hmm. you know, you're working on your own thing. Um, maybe having that idea of collaboration becomes that permission for you to do something completely different because you're like, okay, this isn't my work anymore. This is something I'm doing with a group or with somebody else. Did that feel like a lot of freedom for you? Yes. I mean, whenever you collaborate, you are forced to get out of your normal way, normal kind of methods of, of making. And that is always a good thing. And it took me a long time to learn that and to appreciate that. I, I, would, I would even say that even when you're working by yourself, and I, I enjoy collaborating with others, but when you're in your studio alone, you can still look at it as a collaboration. I'm, mm. I'm thinking of this conversation that took place between um, the famed art teacher, Hans Hoffman, um, who, talk, who taught at the, uh, is it Black Mountain College? And Jackson Pollock, I believe was one of the students, they were having a conversation in Pollock's studio and Hans Hoffman said, Jackson, what is this work coming from? Re re referencing the drip paintings. Because if it's, if it's not coming from nature, then it's coming from your own head, which means you're destined to just repeat yourself. And I have to believe that that with Jackson Pollock. <laughs> because 
ultimately, I think he arrived at that place of like, where do I go next? This is just sort of a repetition on a theme. And out of that, though, came Pollock's famous statement. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not looking at nature. I am nature. And that, that statement can be looked at so many different ways. But I've, I've arrived at maybe attributing a lot of credit to Jackson Pollock in the sense that he was ahead of his time in thinking that. Like, I feel like he realized that he was connected to something beyond himself, that there's a sort of zeitgeist that you can tap into as an artist. And this will start to sound like maybe, I don't want it to sound pseudo-spiritual, but I, I tend to agree. And it's fascinating that there are artists back then, like Rothko, I'm reading about Rothko, wanted to get away from what he called ego. Um, so that he could tap into that real thing that is sort of floating above us all. Um, and so with that mentality, it, it does become a collaboration. Now, I'm not just experimenting with paint in the studio or materials. I can experiment when I'm driving my car, think lost in my thoughts, because there's that, that sort of conversation happening. And that experimentation can then feel inspired. And when you're in the studio again, you're working from that place of inspiration. And I think that can give you a tremendous amount of confidence to feel like you're not just stuck in your own, uh, your own loop, your own thoughts. You know, I think that's a really interesting place for us to take this conversation um, is kind of how do you get out of your own way to allow for this experimentation and what do you tap into as an artist? Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to dive deeper into that. So welcome back. I would love to dive in a little deeper into this idea of ego and getting outside of yourself uh, when allowing yourself to experiment in the studio. Um, what are your thoughts about that, Andrew? I think you were really starting to you know, kind of hit those points of either, you know, and, and I, I absolutely think art is part of a spiritual practice of some sort. And I think there is, a, there's been times when I sit in front of a canvas and this used to be, you know, part of my ritual or whatever it might be when approaching something was just kind of having this meditation and this acknowledgement that like this already came to fruition. You know, I'm just here to let it kind of come out, whatever it's going to be. And kind of, you know, I'm just dancing with it at that point and as opposed to trying to direct it. And that really was a way for me to set the intention to try to get out of the way of myself uh, when approaching a piece of artwork. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like we, especially as professional artists, there's just a lot of pressures. There's a lot of forces at play that we, we have to be aware of. and. Uh, we are, we are so much more than just intellects, brains inside of skulls, <laughs> having experiences, you know, there's, there's this entire universe around us. There's so much more at play. And then there's the art world, right? There's this entity that we think of as the art world. And of late, I'm, I'm kind of breaking that down and trying to decide that the art world just doesn't exist. It's largely just a fabrication. Every, Absolutely. Every artist ha, like, is experiencing a different sort of art world, right? There is no one art world. And um, 
that stands largely in the way of, I think, a lot of really good innovation. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking of an experience I had while traveling in the faraway magical place known as Bali. I, I was in Bali with my wife a couple years ago, and we went to this little village on an excursion. And this is one of the oldest villages in, on the island of Bali. And we're talking like thousands of years old. Nothing in America could touch it in terms of like cultural uh, heritage. And we're walking through this labyrinthian little village in the jungle. And we got taken to uh, the studio, I guess you'd call it, of, of one of the resident artists who had been working in a tradition that his father had worked in and his father's father and so on and so forth back like 13 generations. And he was, what type of artist was he? He, he made drawings, essentially these beautiful drawings that were etched into wood that he would then sort of ink up. They were like wood engravings, right? With ink and nothing printed like the wood was the finished art and they were so detailed and so beautiful and he spoke about them with such humility there was no ego there and i think partly because he had inherited everything he knew about making this art and for him it was very much a tradition right and that's something that i think is a little lost in the western practice of art making um this idea that art can be tradition and we are so focused on innovation, right? We've, we've had this running dialogue that painting is dead, that's been around for decades. And because painting is dead, you better do something really new that excites us. And I'm thinking of, again, the art world, the collectors, the, the sort of intelligentsia that seems to be running things from overhead. And that, that's a bit of a fabrication. Um, because really, as an artist, you can do whatever you want, right? Even if you need to get a side gig to take care of life, you can do whatever you want. Um, so there's all these different branches, and I tend to think that there's, there's a tradition in all of our practice. Right? Ashley learned how to draw somewhere. She draws exquisitely, so that's a tradition. Um, you, can, you can keep honing that practice of drawing. But when it comes to innovation, making something completely new, um, where is that coming from? Is that coming from an expectation? Is that coming from a self-expectation or from ex expectation outside of yourself? Uh, for me, that's when ego gets tripped up. Like, am I doing this because I feel I need to do it? Or am I doing it because there's expectations? Um, so I'm not sure where you'd go with that. But for me, it's trying to stay in that cleaner place of why am I doing this? Am I doing this for me? It's experimenting without a goal, except for the act of experimentation. When you're working with students, Ashley, and teaching them to think like an artist, does experimentation come up in that, or do you primarily focus on technique? Oh my goodness. I, I think, yes, experimentation is the most important thing. I mean, that's why we are artists. That is the most wonderful thing about being artists that we can, that we have a license to experiment. 
And I think, you know, when, when I think about the art world, it, it feels claustrophobic and I think it feels scary to a lot of students as well. And I, I think it's so important to get outside of our studios and to not only just obsess over other artists' work, like obsess over um, artists that, you know, you were talking about tradition, Andrew. Um, I think it's so important to recognize with what artists throughout art history you are drawn to that perhaps relate very little to what you're making, but you just keep going back to them again and again, and you keep, keep obsessing over them and being kind of unapologetic and real about that and, and cutting out images from, you know, books and putting them on your wall and just being okay with that. Um, and it's so important to get outside of the studio and, and connect with non-artists, connect with, with people doing other things, living their lives. The most interesting work I think is made by artists who get outside of the studio and get outside of the art world and engage with the real world in a really honest and curious way. Um, I really encourage my students to get outside and go for walks too. I think that's very important. I go for a lot of night walks um, and I love kind of seeing the edges of things and not knowing what the rest of them are or what the rest of it is. And I think that's a good kind of spark for our creativity, just to, to not be able to see the whole thing and just to try to imagine what the rest of it is. Um, so going for night walks, exploring in places you haven't explored before, um, really trying to kind of pay attention to things and, um, and yeah. It sounds like kind of fostering that natural curiosity and like giving it space to exist. Yes. Yes. The, so the other day I was walking in the woods in the snow by myself and there were all of these tiny little insects on the ground, just everywhere in the snow. It was very strange. They looked very vulnerable in the snow. Um, and I went back to my studio and researched and their springtails. Um, which are actually not insects. They are arthropods. And they were all just, just covering every surface and it was totally weird. And I have no idea if that's going to turn into anything in my studio, but I don't know. It's a little kind of shiny bit of curiosity that I'll tuck away <laughs> and might turn into something else. Well, and kind of going on this idea of tradition or technique, so as you're mastering these techniques, and some of it might be learned from, you know, your, your professors, your teachers, your family, the history before you, um, does some sort of mastery of those techniques lead then towards this freedom to experiment? I mean, absolutely. I, I think we're all, as artists, trying to uh, figure out the, the vocabulary of our art. Um, and that, that comes from, yeah, that comes from being taught. I think it mostly comes from just self-teaching. Like, I think it's always funny that people make a distinction between artists that went to art school and artists that are self-taught. Like somehow artists that are self-taught are somehow a little more pure because I think every artist is self-taught in that we no longer live in a system where there's like a master and a student and you, you learn from that master and you you're making their work and you're 
working in that same vein. Um, I had great professors. I had great feedback um, from my peers as well. But much of that, much of those arrows in my quiver came from just wrestling it out in the studio, trying things out, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. And absolutely. And I, and I think it's less technique based even like I think of Picasso got to a point in his life in his eighties where he didn't want to be masterful anymore. He was trying to be like a child and trying to draw and paint like a child. And those were his most challenging works. Even still, when I look at them, they were, they were in a way his biggest mistakes maybe, or they were the most pure works he made. I'm still trying to make up my mind on his, <laughs> his latest work, the, the latter part of his career. Um, but talk about play, talk about experimentation. Children do it the best, right? Because they don't have all this pressure. They don't, they don't have ideas of how things should be. And I think the greatest artists just aren't caught up in how things should be. They're the ones telling the world how things should be. What do you feel like in, if you're looking at your personal canon was a body of work or a piece that you're like, I really was outside of my comfort zone there. It was really an experiment that got me there. Um, could you kind of describe that for us? I mean, I'm engaged in it currently. I I'm making some work, uh, that you'll see tomorrow that I would say is the most experimental of my career. And there's a lot of money invested in it. There's a lot of time invested in it and the stakes feel high. But at the same time, it's like, what if it fails? What if the public doesn't respond? Like my life goes on. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. So I, I'm giving myself that place of comfort and I have that privilege uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for it in which I can follow the muse. I can follow what I feel is inspiration and let the world decide if it's good. Another great quote, Andy Warhol. This is perhaps my favorite thing an artist has ever said about art. He said that it's not the artist's job to decide if what they've made is good. Uh, the artist should just make the art and then send it out in the world and let the world decide if it's good. And while the world is deciding if it's good, the artist goes back and makes more art. And I think that's the safest place from which to experiment. Uh, you can get caught in this like constant, constant feedback loop where you're making a thing and as you're making it, you're judging it. And I'm going to use a basketball analogy, right? I grew up playing basketball. I played on, on, I played competitive basketball. And when you, when you shoot a free throw, for example, a free throw should be a very instinctive thing. You've done it a million times. A great free throw shooter does it the same way each time. And it goes in, you have a high percentage, uh, shooting free throws. However, if you, if you stand at that free throw line and you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm about to take a shot. Uh, people are watching me. Am I going to make this shot? My arm is releasing the ball. Is the ball going to go in? You're going to miss that shot. Like nine times out of 10, you're going to miss that shot. Uh, I, I think that's, that's a place in which I'm experimenting in the studio right now is like, 
leaving that space of intense scrutiny or self-consciousness and almost like letting the brush make the painting or letting at the very least the material or my hand or the idea make the art. Not thinking I'm making this, I'm making this free throw. I'm making this art. Um, so that's, we'll see, we'll see where I go with this, but uh, it feels better. You're getting out of your own head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Ashley, can you point to uh, a body of work or something in your studio that you feel was a reach for you and that you were really experimenting with your results and you were getting out of your own head for? First of all, I'm going to say I'm so curious to see what you've made. Me too. <laughs> I have a studio visit tomorrow. That's <laughs> what, So I'm, I'm excited for that. The world will yeah. see it in May. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Um, so um, first of all, though, getting back to your, your question about tradition or materials or technique, I just wanted to quickly say that, that um, I, I mean, I always try to encourage students to, to study everything so that you just have more in your toolbox, right? If you, learn, if you learn how to be a printmaker and you learn all of these different sculptural techniques and painting techniques, the more kind of te technical skills you have, the more experimental you can be. Um, but I think for me, looking back at the things that I've made, um, the thing that has helped me or the, or the thing that I've noticed is that it's important for me to, to respond to what's happening in my life. Um, when the kind of major shifts happen in, in my life or in the world, um, I, I think being kind of honest about that and, and being real about how that changes my work um, is, is really, really good. I, I think, I think um, there's this uh, tendency to try to hold on to what we've made in the past when massive kind of change or hardship or you know, tragedy happens in your life. And I think um, allowing my work to change when those things happen results in more interesting work and kind of more honest work. Um, How did that actually take form in your studio? Okay. okay. So uh, around the time I ended up, um, I, I um, had a, a breakup, a major breakup with my partner of 10 years. And um, I uh, quit my job and sold everything I owned and ended up moving across the whole country. And um, many things happened. Uh, and it was a really, really hard time. And I ended up um, starting to experiment with um, collaboration for the first time. Um, and that's when my sister and I really started working together um, and coming up with uh, working on performance based things, working with other artists who and and um, and dancers and and musicians um, to come up with work to, to, to create things that were totally different than what I had made in the past. Uh, and I think allowing allowing that to happen instead of trying to continue making the work I was making before that shift was a really important thing for me to do. If you had some advice for somebody who was struggling, who felt kind of stuck in their studio practice um, about how to get outside of your head, have you had any 
kind of things that have worked for you um, that gave yourself that permission to experiment more? I think I think Ashley's advice already to that was to to students that she's taught to get out to get outside essentially right to go for a walk to go look at the world and and find out what really stokes curiosity and makes you fascinated right that that's that's how art came about like i'm convinced that art came about by people just going oh that's an amazing thing i need to like explore that i need to i need to address that um with like pigment on a rock you know that's how it started so I'm a big proponent, just like I think I believe Ashley is, and I believe you are, Doug, of making art about life. Like that's the most compelling art. Getting away, getting away from contrivance, which is really making art for others, but really making it for yourself. And you know, one of the things I heard a lot when I was teaching from from college students is, how do I arrive at my own style? <laughs> like, and style even became. A, a dirty word in art school. Like, just don't talk about style because I think a lot of people think of style as sort of this affected, sort of contrived manner of being or working. And I think that's an endless, I'd love to do a whole podcast just on style, right? And style in, in the way a person dresses, style in what music you listen to, style <clears throat> in what kind of art you make. And yes, the world does want to see a particular style because it makes you easier to market. It makes the collectors sort of know what they're getting into. You develop a, a market sort of tradition that people can bank on. So style is important in that sense, but I'm, I'm putting that aside and just saying, I think it's great that you arrive at a style, but it should be arrived at naturally. It should be arrived at from the things that you love in life. And like, I think of the people I know in my life that have good style, it looks very natural the way they, the way they've assembled their attire. They look like they were born wearing a cool scarf with skulls on it and a denim jacket like Doug is wearing right now. <laughs> and, um, but I also think that experimentation is important because if you arrive at a style through focusing on your own sensibilities, that's one thing. But sometimes you have to go, okay, what, what goes against the grain for me? What is not my sensibility? And that's rich territory to experiment in as well. So that's my advice to younger artists is like, try a little bit of everything and see what feels right. And then do listen to consensus to see what is working. I think consensus is a powerful tool but always go back to that inner voice that can tell you whether or not it's really working for you, right? What are your thoughts on that, Ashley? I think just being unapologetically obsessive, it doesn't have to be anything highbrow or intellectual. Really be honest about what you, what you are excited about and get deep, deep into it. Um, like, bu like bugs crawling in the snow. <laughs> yes, like bugs crawling in the snow. Um, I know an artist who's really into football and she's doing all this crazy work about football. It's great. Um, and I think, yeah, read everything, read voraciously, listen to everything, you know, listen um, 
get engaged with what other artists are, are working on um, and allow yourself to be as curious as, as possible and investigate the real world, you know, go out in the world, look underneath rocks and look underneath leaves and get, you know, a microscope and look at snowflakes under the microscope and, um, and just allow yourself to keep going um, and, and get deeper into the things that you're, that you are curious about. Um, and remember that being, um, being experimental is the best thing about being an artist. Being an artist is a license to um, experiment and to research um, whatever you want to research. Um, and I mean, that's why I'm an artist. <laughs> ditto, ditto. Like I, I, knew, I knew way back when that I couldn't handle being in a cubicle, working the same thing every day with like forms that need to be filed and like that would kill my soul living under this constraints of like what I'm told to do so I, I I echo what Ashley is saying one of the beauties of being an artist is you don't get to you don't have to live under constraints and yet we find ourselves creating constraints and so real experimentation is like breaking through those and giving yourself yourself permission like we we have to be the most self-permissive people working in the world <laughs> just like do do what you feel do what you feel what do you think doug what is what is what advice would you give to young artists about curiosity or experimentation you know i think uh i think you guys really nailed it i think the idea of giving yourself permission to follow your own authentic curiosity is probably the biggest challenge um, because we have all bought into so many uh, kind of misconceptions and myths about how we're supposed to be as artists, um, as creatives. And I, I also really love the way that you guys, I think, both came to this consensus that there's this need to get outside of the echo chamber of the art world and draw that inspiration, uh, you know, from everything else that's out there. Um, I know you kind of alluded to this uh, earlier, but uh, uh, there's this wonderful quote that I love from uh, David Foster Wallace, where he talks about the idea that this is water. Um, I think we can get so inside of our own heads and our own being that we don't understand what is around us. So the idea is that there were two small fish swimming and the elder fish kind of swims by and says, hey boys, how's the water? And they don't understand what he's talking about. Um, so this idea that we're so sometimes entrapped in it that we don't realize what the bigger picture is around us. So that's a really good reminder that um, there's inspiration everywhere um, and that we're just kind of responding um, to that inspiration. And if we allow it and take our own ego out of that, um, that it can just flow. And, and I think, you know, I, we referenced earlier the, the sort of antithesis between tradition and experimentation or tradition and innovation. And for me, like really trying to be innovative, it can feel burdensome. 
it can feel like uh I, I don't know if that's the right approach to take you know to feel like okay i am trying to be on the cusp of adding to the lexicon of painting and there's so much painting out there how can i do something new how can i do something that contributes to a new kind of space a new kind of painting and what a what a big daunting task you know so i'm i'm like deflecting away from that and going back to working from a place of personal authenticity and making paintings in that vein because i feel like the most unique thing in the world is like individual experience and that's kind of the also the advice i give to students is work from yourself if you're trying to make something new because there is nobody like you nobody's had your collection of experiences your thoughts so when you work from your experience it's bound to be much more unique but that's still something i wrestle with i'm 44 years old i've been working as a professional artist for a decade now and i have those conversations in my in my studio with myself like am i being authentic like what the hell is authenticity how do how does an artist arrive at authenticity i mean maybe that's a question i'm I know we're probably trying to wind down, but what is authenticity and how can that relate to experimentation? Stop trying to do and just be. And I think maybe that's the permission we need to give ourselves is allow ourselves just to be. Thank you both so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting us. This was a really fun conversation. It was so great to have this opportunity to talk to you all. Agreed. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Artbound podcast. For more information about the guests and what we've discussed, go to artistnetwork.com slash artbound. You can also find ways to connect with me and the Artbound team. We'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Artbound is an artist network podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. It's hosted by me, Doug Casina. Our producer is Daisha Clay, with audio engineering and editing by Evan Rutherford. Director of podcasts is Jared Mayer. Executive producer for Artist Network is Scott Meyer. Trisha Waddell is the director of content. Sarah Van Patter handles all our marketing. And Vanessa Childers does all things digital. If you'd like more information on sponsoring or advertising on Artbound, go to goldenpeakmedia.com. I'm Doug Casina. Until next time.